and take your Bibles, your wonderful Word of God, and let's turn to what, chap- what book and chapter? John chapter 5, that's exactly right. Everybody's looking up. Kids worship. Yeah, I'll have that. Chris has given me the point. Hey, don't forget kids worship. I've already been texted, emailed, and now pointed at that we have kids worship today. But take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. And kids, I don't know what story y'all are going to learn about today in Children's Church, but as you go out, this is a miraculous story. So y'all have to tell me what the story is. And it's a story that's very similar to another story that Jesus encounters, another man. And I want you to see if y'all can tell me what's wrong with this guy and what's wrong with the next guy. I'll give you another hint. The next one you're going to find in John chapter 9. Your parents will have a lot of the information before you do, all right? So kids, fifth grade and below, come on up. What your, your assignment is? Let's go find what's out in John chapter 5, verses 1. You have to look so excited this morning. You're not excited? We're going to head on that way. We'll head on out. Head straight in. Y'all get to go right into it today. Come on down and go with Miss Lisa right this way. Good morning, good morning. Oh, you got a whole backpack full. I don't. What do you bring to church? You got to bring a backpack for. I hope you're, you do how to spend the night this week. We don't have school this week, so it's actually we didn't schedule it this way typically. But we uh, last year, I think it was last year when COVID hit, the Masters moved to November because most of Aiken shuts down because of the Masters. We moved our school to the the week of the November when they moved the Masters, and then the and public school did the same thing, and then public school moved it back to April, and then we just said we're going to keep it. And so we have an extra break in November. We use it as an educational break. And as our Christian Academy of Town Creek, we are going to uh, Kentucky, to, to Ohio, to the Creation Museum, and to the Ark Encounter. So we're really excited about traveling. We leave tomorrow morning, and we'll have four days of, of, of adventure, learning. Of course, the kids know when they get up there, uh, they're going to have to actually do a report when they get back. So it's not just uh, they get an extra grade that the students who didn't go won't get. So it's, um, it's exciting. And we're excited. Has anybody been to the Ark Encounter? Raise your hand if you've been to it. I've never been to it before, so I'm kind of excited myself going to it. Okay, good. Good number of us have. How about the Creation Museum? All right, I think we're in for a treat going and just learning more about the Scripture. Now, that, these trips are open, just so you know, it's going to be more and more. This was our goal when we started the Academy, is instead of just teaching academics from a book, to actually make disciples of Christ and take them on location when there's things or events in our country that would help their education. So these are things we see forward that we can push forward uh, for the education. But this is not just for our students. It's open to church members as well. And uh, so the next one will be, uh, Derek's already working on it now, the Washington trip. We'll be looking at all the Washington monuments and looking at how many places Scripture is, if you will, tattooed on all the monuments in Washington so that students have a true history of what our country is about and how we were founded. And we'll also do a Pennsylvania tour. It's going to be the Freedom Tour We'll be doing that next year, and that's open to every church member uh, if you want to go, and there's deadlines, and we'll see. We'll advertise that in the bulletin, and that's why it's important to read your bulletin. We'll take your Bibles and turn your wonderful Word of God's Word and turn to John chapter 5, and we're going to, as we told the children, we're going to be diving into John chapter 5. I hope they do as well, and today, this is the Meet Jesus series, and I hope that you're learning something from this series. I know I'm learning as I, I prepare to teach and preach. I'm learning many things that I overlooked as I read through and just scan the Scripture. You know, have you ever read through the Bible? And when you're reading through the Bible, you're usually racing through the Bible, right? If you're not careful. And as we take time to go verse by verse, we're going to have a look at this, um, what Jesus does. And, and there's a lot of miracles that are similar in the Synoptic Gospels. But John 
is very beautifully lays out what happens. And he gives us details that we, we wouldn't find in the other Gospels. So today in this Meet Jesus series, we're, the question of, this, of the sermon title is, Do You Want to Be Healed? And if you were sick, what's the answer? Yes. Well, i got bad news for all of you. You are sick. You're sin sick. You've been born that way from your mother's womb, and you are living today as a sinner, but some of us, thank God, have been saved by grace. Many people are in this condition. They know their condition. You're going to see this man that we talk about, Bethesda, and y'all know Bethesda. If we say that word today, that means Maryland, right? But Bethesda, Maryland was named after Bethesda Presbyterian Church, which was named after the pool in Bethesda that we're reading about today. So Bethesda, Maryland gets their name from, James, uh, from John chapter 5. And we know there's many uh, hospitals. That we train the military doctors and nurses there. There's a lot of uh, very important things that happen in Bethesda. But if you ever go to Bethesda, Maryland, or know Bethesda, Maryland, it's named from John chapter 5. Now, I'm not sure they would, they, if they knew that, they would probably change their name today. But uh, let's get into the Word and see what the Word says. We're going to read the first few verses. And, and we know we're transitioning from last week, if you were with us, that uh, a nobleman's son was healed. Now Jesus is moving because there's a festival coming. There's a feast. John chapter 5. Now, I got some good news and bad news. It's not really awful for you, but if you have an NIV or English Standard Version or some other translations, you won't have what we all have today if you have the New King James or the King James Bible. There's a verse that the scholars get together and say, that we don't believe this was in the original, and they leave out different things. Uh, the King James thought that it should be there, and, and so the, the, the scholars of that time and and in the New King James still hasn't. So you'll skip, you'll, you'll look in your Bible and wonder, where are we when we get to verse 4? Who's missing verse 4? Raise your hand if you're missing verse 4. Sorry. Uh, they'll, they'll, your Bible probably, if it's NIV, will put a little caveat down to the bottom. It says most transcripts leave this out. Earlier manuscripts, they'll argue their point. But I think it proves the point, actually, what Scripture says. So here we go. After the, this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Remember, when it says he went up, Jerusalem's on a hill, so it's always going up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool. Now, if you notice the word, I hate to keep breaking the scripture down like this, but if you notice the word gate, if you have a new, a new King James Version, it's not in the original. It's actually, sheep gate was added. It should be italicized in your Bible. It just says by the sheep. The pool by the sheep is what it should read. Gate was just added for emphasis, and a lot of people... Unfortunately, copy other people. But you go back and look at this. It's just basically, it should say this. Now, there was in Jerusalem by the sheep a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, or your Bible might say porticos, or pillars. And these lay a great multitude of sick people. They were blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition, and again, that's an italicized, that he had been, a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The man, the sick man, answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise and take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, Who was cured? 
It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they said to him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought after the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these you may, uh, that you may marvel. Verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. Verse 23, final verse. That all should honor the son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Father God, we pray for the blessing of your word, of the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you go to the notes? I want to give you some things. This is more of a kind of a preaching, teaching session this morning. I want you to look into your notes. Jesus with his disciples made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for a Jewish festival. Now the Bible doesn't tell us which festival it was. It says a feast or festival. But you look at Deuteronomy 16, 16. As a matter of fact, let's do that so we have a basis about why did Jesus just go randomly to Jerusalem? Let's look, in the, let's look up the scripture. If you look at your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then what? Deuteronomy. The first five books of the, of the Bible are called what? Pentateuch are the, are the Torah. And Jesus, did he live in the New Testament or the Old Testament? He lived during the Old Testament. The new blood covenant had not happened so therefore, would Jesus keep the commands of the law? 100%. Everything he did would be covered under the law. Because he, he wrote it, right? He is God. And therefore, he would keep his own commands. And he would show himself righteous that he could actually be the Lamb of God. He could actually, he never sinned, so he could take away the sins of the world. So Deuteronomy 16, and then I put 16 and 17, but really it's found in verse 16, uh, 16, 16. If I turn my pages, do y'all get, as you get older, your fingers get soft? I used to have man hands where I worked all the time and had calluses. Now I have these soft, gentle fingers being a preacher. I, it drives me crazy. All right, the Bible says, among other things, as, as God has given Moses the commands in Scripture, how they should live, 16 says this, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. And, of course, he talks about what every man should give according to his ability. So these are the three feasts that you had to make the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem and celebrate. That's why you see when the Bible says there's multitudes laying at the pool, and there's multitudes in the crowd where Jesus gets lost, if you will, in the crowd where the man doesn't know who it is. The multitudes are there because all of the males are coming back to Jerusalem to actually celebrate the feast, one of these three feasts. And as they come back to celebrate the feast, 
obviously you have to come with something. And if you traveled a long distance, what would happen to your animal, your sheep? It would get dirty. It could get blemishes. So what many people would do is come to the city of Jerusalem, and they would go to Bethesda, by the pool, by Bethesda pool, if you will, and they would buy their sheep. You would buy a sheep that's already been approved. It was better that way because you were guaranteed that that sheep was going to be able to be offered as a sacrifice versus bringing yours a long distance. And if you had any blemishes, if the sun had baked the, uh, you know, caused sores on the animal, it was not usable. And you couldn't eat the sheep because it was already dedicated to the Lord. So that was in the law as well. So what would you do? The best thing to do is buy your sheep when you get to town, when you get ready for the festival. So when you look and see in the news, Jesus was actually, if it was a headline news in Jerusalem that day, Jesus follows the law, heads up to Jerusalem, celebrates the festivals. That would be the headline news. Jesus visited the pool of Bethesda, which was by the sheep. Why? Why did he do that? We know that we've been preaching and teaching about Jesus for long enough that we say Jesus always does everything specifically. He went to a specific place. You'll find there's a specific man with a specific disease, and he gives him specific instructions. And then we have a specific outcome. Jesus never just walks around. just uh, He's not a Benny Hinn and swings his jacket or his robe and, and tells people they're healed just because he waved over them or something. He was very much engaged with the people, and he was engaged on purpose. Now, there's some things you come out of this going, well, God's not fair. If there's multitudes of people, how come Jesus didn't save everybody? Didn't Jesus come to save those who are, are lost? Yes or no? So were, were a majority of these people lost? Yes, many were. But how about today? There's many people who are lost, like us. How many of us heard the gospel message more than one time before we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Raise your hand. I couldn't tell you how many times I heard it. I heard it multiple times, and I said, no, I want to do my own thing. That's why Jesus said in John 3, when he told Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews... Men love evil more than they love good. They love darkness more than they love light. It's in our hearts. It's in their hearts, the multitude's hearts. But listen, it's in our hearts in this congregation today. And those that are watching by computer, it's in your heart as well. We in a community, we were, what's going on with our world? And, and I, uh, Christian and I were talking about it. Christian reminded me this uh, weekend of the one world religion. A friend showed her, and it was something I heard about. And it's up on the screen. I want you to see. This is actually the complex. This was a, this was a, that was the rendering of it. That's the uh, foundation of it. And that's the actual, uh, what it's going to end up being. It, there's going to be a mosque. Well, there is a mosque. It's going to be finished next year. There's going to be a mosque. The Catholic Church has endorsed the Pope, our current Pope, the, their current Pope, not ours. He doesn't belong to me, and I don't belong to him. The Pope has endorsed, for Christianity's sake, under his banner, he signed an agreement with the leading imam. So there's a mosque, there's a Catholic church, and there's a Jewish place to meet. Synagogue, if you will. So to bring the world, one world government together. And they signed a contract. Have you read that? Is anyone familiar with this? Raise your hand if you're familiar with it. It's, it's not... This is new that this almost finished built, and this is Abu Dhabi. This is actually in the Middle East. Now Berlin's done the same thing, but this is on a grand scale that the government might be, that the world religions might come together. And you read the document. If you go into uh, even the Catholic, this is off the Vatican's website. So it's not something we just find a, a Facebook post that somebody come up with something. The Vatican actually published this, and they got a picture of the Pope shaking hands with the leading imam, celebrating that there's actually going to be a place for Christians, Jews, and Muslims to come together and worship. Now, doesn't that sound lovely? 
except that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That excludes every Jew, unbelieving Jew. That excludes every unbelieving Muslim. And that excludes every unbelieving, if you will, Gentile, you and me. Everyone must come by the way of Christ. He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. And Jesus encounters this man and tells him there is but one way. Do you want to be healed? And our world says, this is how we heal. Let's just come together and let's just make a unifying thing that all humanity might have love and peace and take care of the poor and we might help the fatherless and the widows, which is in the book of James that we should do these things. Is this correct? But they've taken it out of context that would actually might show that our religion is true and they're trying to put us together. Well, I want you to see, if you are in favor of that, you are not in favor of what the Word of God says about salvation. There is no way to come together because even for the Muslim, what does the Muslim do for the infidel? If you know anything about Muslims, being in the military, you learn a lot. Uh, if you're an infidel, it is to strike you, cut your head off, to kill the infidel. The Jews say there is but one God, and his name is Yahweh, and there's no other. They don't, that's why they don't believe Jesus was the Son of God, even though they knew it. Because some people will say today, well, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. You might get some educated person tell you that. And they're foolish people because they don't read the Word of God. We'll find today in the text that the Jews were so upset that he claimed to be equal to God. He claimed to be God. Even in the text, it tells us that, that he said he was the Son of God. And they understood when you said you're the Son of God, you're the same as the Father. You're saying you're the same as God the Father. Well, this is happening today. It's going to be completed next year. So does that get you excited or scare you? That gets me excited. That means we got to preach because Jesus is coming soon, right? We preach year after year after year that he's coming. You imagine the prophets that preached that he was coming, and now Christmas came, and we celebrate Christmas, and now we're saying he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, but there's got to be a one-world government. There's got to be a one-world religion. You read that in Scripture, read the book of Revelation, and listen, it's just like the headline news today. He's coming, church, amen? Get ready and go tell your neighbors, tell your family and friends, he's coming. The world is getting ripe to harvest. That He's going to shout, come up. And we're going to go up with the dead saints that are in Christ. They're going to rise first and we'll join them in the air. What a glorious time that's going to be. Amen? Does that excite you? That should excite you when you see those pictures. It should give you a little bit of trembling that, hey, I got, a, I got work to do. Southern Baptists are in turmoil right now. Did y'all know that? It's crazy. If you're reading the news, Southern Baptists, everybody's mad at everybody. We got pastors suing pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. The Bible says, God forbid, is there not a wise man within the church? we got the executive uh, committee doing things, and people are complaining against them. And the executive committee is really just people across all 50 states. you got religion versus religion. Everything's falling apart. And by the way, do you all know the name of this place? Who's, na who's it named after? Who would you think that would bring Muslims and Jews and Christians together? Catholic Christians, not Bible-believing, born-again Christians. I want to be clear on that. Who do you think it would be? What name would bring all three people together besides God? Not Mary. It's good. Good guess. That knocks out two of us, right? Abraham. And it's called the Abraham family uh, buildings is what it's called. That Abraham, the Muslims say Abraham is their father. Is he? Yes, because of Ishmael. Uh, they, the Christians say Abraham's our father. Is that true? Yes, because we've been grafted into the lineage of Abraham. And the Jews say Abraham is their father. Is that true? Yes, because of Isaac. So then we serve the same God. Not true. Because we believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, according to what he said. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by 
Jesus. Make sure you make that notation that we sang about this morning. Now, Jerusalem. I'll give you these side notes just as definitions. Jesus means city of peace. I mean, Jerusalem means city of peace. Bethesda means house of his grace, mercy, or loving kindness. Does that excite you? Where did Jesus go? To the city of peace. Who's the prince of peace? Isaiah 9, 6. Jesus is the prince of peace. So where did he go? He went to his own town, right? Because he's the king of that city. He's the king of peace. He's the prince of peace. Bethesda means house of his grace, mercy, and loving kindness. How else could you describe the Lord Jesus Christ? He goes up to the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace. He goes to the pool of his loving kindness, Bethesda. And Jesus encountered a multitude of diseased people at Bethesda. It was a very specific place. The people were sick, blind, and lame. That's a picture of you and me, brother and sister. That's a picture of us, sick, blind, and lame. These people were spiritually blind. These were spiritually lame. And they were competing for place for the water to be stirred. They wanted to get in the water. When Jesus comes, he asks a question. He asks this man, but he asks you and me today, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? And so many people today in our culture say, yes, I want to be made well, but I don't want to give up my sin. I love what I'm doing that's wrong because nobody else knows about it. There are no such things as secret sins, FYI. Everything is standing before the Lord. He hears what you say. He watches what you do. He knows what you're thinking. He sees your text. He sees your social media. There is no secret sin today. The Bible is very clear. Be sure that your sins will find you out. And it's usually publicly, and it's usually embarrassing, and it's usually in a way that, that divides instead of reconciles. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and he's trying to reconcile all men to himself. This miracle is a miracle of restoration. It's a miracle of restoration. Get that in your head. He's trying to restore, restore, restore. And he picks out this one man. Jesus engaged a certain man, a very specific person I put in my notes, who had been ill for 38 years. Do you think this man knew that he was sick? Why did he keep staying at the pool? Why did he come back time after time after time? Did he have hope that the water would be stirred, that he might get in and be healed? He couldn't help but have. <coughs> Excuse me. He couldn't help but have hope. But the people around him were sick and mean, right? Because you would basically get up to the line. There was five porticles or five porches. And they've, up until the 19th century, scholars said these pools didn't exist. This pool didn't exist. But as God would have it, during excavations, guess what they find? The pools, right. They, when they get into the uh, pool, the person's healed and can leave. Jesus did not say, hey, do you want me to put you in the pool? Mike, come up and read John 9, 32-41. I want you to see there's another healing that happens <clears throat> in me. John 9, 32-41. You can see for yourself, I guess. 32-41. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You are 
completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, for those who do not see may see, and that those who may see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Thanks, Mark. See, my wife take care of me as well. Everybody take running. The, <laughs> finish the message and hurry up and hush. <laughs> Thank you, brother. So that's another miracle we're going to see in just a couple of weeks. That, that the man was blind and he was healed and Jesus was clear saying, listen, now you see. He didn't see just because he physically could see. He now could spiritually see. And he said, I, what? What was the word that actually, it didn't condemn him to heaven, but it confirmed him to heaven. What was the words? I believe. What did he believe? Same as this man, well, we think this man did. What did he believe? That Jesus was the Messiah. He was the living Son of God who came to save people from their sins. This blind man in chapter 9 believes because he could see physically, but God opened up his heart that he could actually see spiritually. Well, let's go, let's continue to go. Jesus engaged that man. He was in a helpless state. He was in his deepest time of need. Have you been there before? Lord, if you don't help me, there's nobody on the planet that can. I can't help myself. And what people are doing today, instead of actually running to the scripture, saying, Lord, help me, they're running to medication. They're running to extra, extra sinful uh, occupations, if you will. They're doing sinful things. Or they're jumping off cliffs. People are hanging themselves. Can you imagine in our culture today, and it's happened, people are running to things that actually take their own life because they can't deal with the sin of the day. And we as a church should be the very people who are there saying, listen, there is hope. There is opportunity. And where do we find that hope and opportunity? Only in Jesus. We have to meet Jesus. Jesus asked the man the most important life question. He asked one question, but I, there's three questions within his question. Number one, here's the question. Do you want to be physically healed? Did the man want to be physically healed? Yes, that's why he's by the pool. He's hoping with a little bit of hope that the angel's going to come stir the waters. Now, the angels, do you think an angel would come and stir the waters? I do. Because angels, the Bible says, are ministering spirits of God. He sends them on task. Go do this. You look in the Old Testament. He sent angels to actually kill 186,000 Evade, uh, invading enemy. He always sends, hey, go do my work. Go do my work. Go do my work. Go do my work. Now, could God just go do the work? Of course he can. Why does he use angels as ministering spirits? Because he wants to. Isn't that great? Here's one crazier. Why does he use sinful men and women to get his gospel out? Because that's what he wants to do. But let me ask you the question, are you being obedient to him and getting the gospel out? You have a responsibility. You can't say, well, I don't know enough. Did this man know enough to get up? Watch what Jesus tells him. Do you want to be physically healed? Do you want to be spiritually healed? Do you want to supernaturally live for God? Those are the questions he asks. You say, well, how would you get that out of that? 
Because most of us get the physical part, right? But if you look over, Jesus sees him again to the temple. Here's what the man did. Did the man have any faith at all? He had to have some faith. He had little faith. He saw his situation through his own eyes and not through the eyes of God. Here's some, here's some great counsel for you. I told you I'm the wor- world's worst counselor, but here's the, here's the counsel. Stop looking at your situation from your, through your own eyes. Look at it through the eyes of God. What happens when you start saying, what does the Bible say about this situation? What does God say? Does he speak to your situation? Teenagers, does he speak to your situation? He will if you let him. Adults, does he speak to your situations? Senior adults, does he speak to your situation? Children, does he speak to your situation? The answer is yes, because he's God. He knows where you are day by day. He knows what you're up against. He knows what your challenges are. He knows what your joys are. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. The Bible says he knows the hairs on your head. I, I joke and say that we're making it easier for him to count, some of us older guys, but he knows you, and yet he still loves you. Isn't that amazing? You know why? Because he created you, and he's a God of love. This man responded with little faith. He saw his situation, and he said, but all these people get to go ahead of me. They're mean people. They're sick like I am, but they jump ahead of me. And what would happen is when you would slide in, only the first person got it healed. You say, well, that's not fair. God should have been better to people than that. Isn't that what people are saying today? When one family member gets saved, oh, you think you're goody-goody. You think you're a holy roller. You think you're better than us now because you've got religion. Anybody been told that before? Yeah, here. When I was in the Navy, I became a Christian, and everybody's like, Smith's got religion. It'll last about two weeks. Thank God he's a keeping God, amen? He's a saving God who keeps you through all your foolishness, your stupidity, your ups and downs. Listen, he's a keeping God. He saved me, and listen, I've been saved ever since. I haven't looked back saying, I wonder, was I really saved? I know that I know that I know that I've been saved. And my knowledge wipes out all fear. doesn't make me cocky. It makes me confident that Jesus Christ is a keeping God. If you come from a background of religion or denomination that says you can lose your salvation, if you're from a free will Baptist background, that many times people, they'll teach that you can lose your salvation. Well, how puny is your God if he can lose your salvation? When Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? What did he mean? Everlasting life unless you sin against me? Everlasting life unless you break some kind of commandment of mine? Everlasting life unless you, and fill in the blank. There was no clause to the everlasting life. Once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is he and he alone that saves you and who keeps you to the day of redemption. So some people say, well, then you just sin because you're saved. Now you're saying, I can sin because I'm saved forever and nothing can stop me from heaven. Romans 6, Paul wrote, God forbid. Your want to changes. I don't want to sin. I don't want to do those evil things that I did before. I don't want to go back to that crowd. I don't want to look at those movies. I don't want to watch that website. I don't want to go to those books. I want to go to Jesus and his authoritative source, which is the Bible. That's what you want to do when you become a Christian. You say, well, how can you know if you're a Christian? Are you a sinner, yes or no? We all are, right? Since our mother's womb, we're born into sin. Have you come to the living knowledge that you know Jesus, that he came to this world to die for your sins? And he did die. He really did die. Do you know that? Do you believe that he was buried and three days later he rose again? Do you believe that with all of your heart? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? 
If you believe that and you tell him, Lord, I believe that and I want you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. Listen, it's that simple that even a child can understand to do it. But it's that complicated that we can't even comprehend. Why would God save me and how does that transpire? I just know what his word says. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he and he alone saves us. It's by his grace that we're saved. Amen? We put our faith in him. He gives us grace. And then he gives us eternal life. What a beautiful gift. He told Nicodemus about eternal life. He told the woman at the well that we've talked about, about living water, eternal life. He goes story after story. As people meet Jesus, what does Jesus be the path to? Eternal life. Quit sinning. Quit your life, sinful lifestyle. Turn to Christ. Our sinful lifestyles can bring all kinds of scars, don't they? How many scars do you have on your body? I got all kind of cut marks and cut ups, and some of you got surgery. I told my dad when I was in the military, I was like, I, I'm just, I feel my back hurts. He said, That's the high cost of low living. You ever, you ever, <laughs> you ever had high cost of low living? It hurts, doesn't it? Or it has marks, or it has piercings, or holes, or tattoos. It has a lot of stuff from when it used to be. But friend, can I tell you something this morning? What used to be is not what is. And not even what you're going to be, because every day you're sanctified by God. You're being made more and more and more like Him. Don't look at your past and say, oh, but I did this, and I've done this, and I've done that. Well, you can say you've done it. You can acknowledge that because the Lord has already forgiven you. And many people are living back in the rearview mirror saying, Lord, but I just don't feel like I can forgive myself. Who do you think you are when God says he forgives you for everything and yet you can't forgive yourself? Do you make yourself greater than God when you say that? Have you ever said that? I just can't forgive myself for what I've done. Little you telling God you're bigger than he. If he says I have forgiven you past, present, future, what should you do? Live in faith by what he says. You are a child of God and move forward with him. Well, every time you say, I just can't forgive myself, you keep saying, well, God, let me just ratchet you down a little bit. I shall ascend to the hill of God and never forgive myself. Who does that sound like? Satan. Anytime you hear somebody say, I just can't forgive myself for what I've done. Say, so you sound just like your father, the devil. Does that, does that scare you or freak you out a little bit? You say, well, no, I'm a Christian. Then quit talking like you're a child of the devil. If God says, I forgive you, guess what he means? I forgive you. Go and sin. What does he tell the woman at the well? Don't go sin anymore. What, the woman called in adultery. What does he say? Go and sin no more. I, think, I don't condemn you either. There's nobody throwing rocks at you. I don't condemn you. What did he tell this man? Watch what he tells him. It's kind of awesome that the Lord never changes his story because he's God. The man responded with little faith. And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says what? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Did this man know the scripture? Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Sometimes you might have to wait 38 years for the Lord to straighten out that crooked path. Was this man sick? Yes or no? He had a debilitating disease that he was sick. Was this man a sinner? What if something he did years ago caused his ailment? You say, well, he shouldn't have done that, right? He shouldn't have been drinking that whatever bootleg he had, or he shouldn't have been riding his donkey so fast. Whatever, whatever he did, I don't know what he was doing. But he had a tendency to sin because he was a sinner. He couldn't help himself. He was a sick sinner, and we feel sorry for people that are lame, that have these different diseases, but he was still a sinner. 
Watch what Jesus says to him. It's kind of, it's funny, and it's just, it just transitions so quickly that you're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus just kind of put the smack on him. And Jesus just tells him, verse 11, he answered them and said, he who made, oh, excuse me, back up to him. Jesus said to him, verse 8, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He gave him three commands. Get up, pick up, and walk out. Get up, pick up, and walk out. How was he going to, he was getting up from what? What was he getting up from, church? Don't, don't miss this. If you don't make, if you don't listen to any of the message today, don't miss this. What was he getting up from? A sick bed. He was so close to being healed. He's on, the, he's on the porch looking at the pool. And this was a deep pool. It wasn't just like a swimming pool that you just, uh, the shallow end. The pool, if you go look at it, it's, uh, it's deep. It's over 13 feet deep. So if you fell in lame and paralyzed, what would happen? And if it wasn't true that you'd be saved, there's a bunch of people that popped to the service and eventually are at the bottom of that pool, right? He had little faith. And, and the Lord said, do you want to be made well? And he goes, nobody can put me in. He wanted to go man's way, right? I've been told this is the way to go. And Jesus told him, you go my way. And the man complained, but I got all the situations. My situation is I can't move and get in the water. This guy beats me, and then I go back to the back of the line. How long has he been there? We don't know, but he's had this infirmary, this problem, for 38 years. He's had a sickness for 38 years. He was so close. To, where's the religious leaders of the day? You would think they were, okay, number one, here comes the angel. The, the water's starting to stir, right? Get in. Swim out the other end. How often was the season that the angel came? How often was the water stirred? We don't know, but it was regular because there's multitudes. It's just crowded with sick people. And if somebody had a blindness and they couldn't see the angel come, I don't know if he could manifest himself as a man, but what would he do? He could hear, he could hear the water stirring, right? And if you're blind and you're behind, you're sitting waiting, when's the season? I don't know if they knew the season, but when the water was stirred, what would he do if you're blind? The water stirs and the guy in front of you is lame, paralyzed, what would you do? This is evidence of who we are as humans. You would think the blind guy would push him in and say, I'm number two. I'll wait for my healing, my turn. Is that what he did? No. What would a blind man do? Where <laughs> Where's the pool? Which way is the pool? And, and this, the paralyzed man could see, but the blind man could walk. And he would go get his healing. And they say, I hope you get it next week. Hey, Larry, I hope you get that one. Right, the next time, maybe next time. That's what humans do today, right? But the church is doing that today. Well, the people that call themselves the church. The church of God truly is going out and telling others about Jesus. Watch what the man said. Get up, pick up, walk out. Verse, the three things he did. Immediately the man was healed. He was healed from what? A sick bed. A sick bed of physical illness, but also a sick bed of spiritual illness. Immediately the man was healed. Number two, I gave you a really hard one. Immediately the man recovered his strength. And number three, guess what do you think it is? Immediately picked up his pallet and he walked. And it's on the Sabbath day. So it looks like the Lord Jesus told him to break the Sabbath commands, the law. But guess what? It wasn't the Sabbath law that he was breaking. It was the man's traditions. All these religious leaders, instead of being there at the healing, they saw the man after he was healed said, Who told you to, you're carrying your pallet? They were more concerned about breaking their traditions than they were celebrating this man being healed because they surely knew of this man. The man was persecuted by the religious rulers for following the command of Jesus. What was the command? Get up, pick up, and walk out. Get up, pick up, walk out. 
Jesus found the man in the temple, the place of worship was the man doing right after he was healed. So far, so good, right? He didn't go home. What did he do? He's a Jewish man too. What does he do? I'm going to the festival. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to the temple, to the place of worship. And Jesus spoke with him. Jesus commanded him to stop sinning. He says it in the words, stop sinning. Live a life of holiness. And then it says thee instead of he. It should be he. He reported to the Jews what Jesus said. Because they will know who told you to carry your, they didn't say who healed you. Look what they said. They said, who told you to carry your pallet, your small mat on Saturday? You know you can't do that. Our rules say very clearly you can't do that. They didn't give two hoots about the man's healing or his spiritual healing. They cared about, he broke our rules. Well, then the man tells them, watch. Jews became more determined than ever to kill Jesus. From their viewpoint, he broke the Sabbath. Jesus did as well. And he called God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus said, I'm, I, I and the Father are one. Wherever he's at work, I'm at work. And the Jews recognized in Scripture, listen, that he was making himself equal with God. And the Bible says they looked for opportunity to kill him. They wanted to kill him. The multitudes are all around. They're hearing and seeing these things. Why would he tell the man who was healed, finally, to stop sinning? Why would he tell him? Why, why would a preacher preach every Sunday like I do, that's preaching the word, will hopefully tell you as the church members, Go be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Stop sinning. What's the implication? It's the implication you have a week coming that you can sin every opportunity you want to. Stop it. When we do counseling, you know, it's, uh, it's probably the best counsel ever. Well, Pastor, I just can't. I've, I got this addiction. Stop it. If you're an alcoholic, don't go buy a beer. That's pretty easy. Don't go to the bar. Don't go inside to get your gas. Go to Sam's or somewhere to get you. Don't walk inside. Don't be around it. Don't go to places and throw it all away. Pour it down the drain. Does that make sense? To us that aren't alcoholics, it makes a lot of sense. But those a person that says, Pastor, I just need a, a little drink every once in a while. You're still an alcoholic. The Lord said, I hope wants to take that away from you. Well, if it's a perversion that you have, stop it. Is that good counsel? Only thank you, Mike. Let me ask. We must have a church full of people that are perverted. If there's a perversion in your life, should you stop it? Yes. Unless you got perversion, you go, but I just can't. I'm addicted. I just can't go there. With Christ, you can do all things. It is He who works in your life. Name it. Go down the list of sins, whatever you, and you know you. You look in the mirror every morning and see you. That person is the person you have to deal with. Banter right beside the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that person, you ever prayed to yourself? I pray about yourself to God. Lord, I got this issue. I, I just need to get, let it go. Worry? Anybody? That's a whole bunch of you, right? I don't have worry. Thank God. That's one thing I don't have. Let it go to God. You say, I just can't. Then you don't trust Jesus. He says, do not worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about today or tomorrow. Look at Matthew chapter 6 for yourself. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the stuff that you need. I'm going to add to you because you're my child. That's a good confirming word, amen? I feel confident that I live with Christ and for Christ. That's my life here on earth. That's my life for eternity. Finally, Jesus warned the Jews, anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Here's the question for you today. Are you looking at your situation through your own eyes like this man sitting by the pool? You're just religious enough that you can feel the moisture off the pool. 
You're just that close. You can, the spray, when the wind picks up, you can feel the churning of the water in your face. You can see it. All religious things happen around you. You can see people swimming out the other end. That, that dude just got healed. God's doing a work in my hometown, in my church. And you go, but not me. I just, I'm never going to get in the water. I don't have anybody to push me in. I don't have anybody to place me in. Young people, listen. Learn from the mistakes of the older people. Learn from the mistakes of the people in the scripture. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the stuff that you have need of, it'll be added to you. God wants you and me to put him number one. There is no place in anyone's life God won't accept it for the second position. We always joke that when you have the competition, the second person is what? First loser. That's exactly right. And God won't be first loser to anybody. He always wants to be first. Stop looking at your situation through your own eyes. Look at it through the eyes of Scripture. What does the Lord say about my situation? Secondly, stop sinning. Just stop your sins. How many of you have judged somebody else in the last little bit? You judge them by the way they look. You judge them by the way they speak, right? And if you're not careful, a joke will turn into a very serious comment, and you lead on that you hurt somebody or hurt somebody within your family. How many husbands have been awful to their wives? How many wives awful to their husbands? We go through these things, but that's just a little sin. God doesn't care about my personal life. Let me tell you, he does. He cares about our relationship with each other, and he cares about our relationship with he, right? He's number one. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He cares about loving yourself. Some of you are struggling with you. I don't love myself. I've done all this wrong. Let me tell you one more time. If you think you say you can't forgive yourself, you're putting yourself above God, and your relationship with God will never be right. He's got to be number one. Loving others has got to be number two. And love yourself, number three. When you say, I can't forgive myself, you're saying, I'm number one. And you've got it all out of whack. And God's not going to bless a life like that. Here's the good news. All you have to do is confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the God that we serve because he's a God of love. Isn't that a good news? Just like this man was paralyzed. Listen, he was religious enough that he knew a little bit of faith, but he couldn't get in. And Jesus didn't say, I'll push you in. He didn't say, I'll push you deeper into religion. He didn't care about our religion. He cares about our relationship. And when he sees them later, he says, go and sin no more. Amen? Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, Lord, as we take time to sing to you, to pray to you, tell you how much we love you. Lord, help us in our time of need because we know that you will. But Lord, help our faith. Help us stop looking at our situation through the lenses of our own physical eyes. And start seeing even a physical illness or spiritual illness is just that, Lord. A spiritual encounter where we can turn it over to you. We are so weak and don't know what to do oftentimes. Lord, let us turn quickly to the scriptures to show you how much we love you. And Lord, to see how much you love us for sure. We bless your name today. And Lord, thank you for the story in the Bible that we can get up that we can pick up our mess, our mats, our stuff, and Lord, we can walk out in favor with God and even with man because we live for Jesus. No matter how dark the days get, Lord, you're the light of the world. We stay in you. Lord, we become the light of the world. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you, most holy King. In Jesus' name.